What's going on, lacrosse fan? Teddy Jenner here in the Off the Crossbar podcast. Welcome back to another week here on OTCB. You got a lot to talk about. Goalie goals, Curtis Dixon blowing everybody's minds. Our lacrosse players getting soft. And the return of the Red Rocket, Sean Paul. All coming up this week on Off the Crossbar. Welcome back, welcome back. Again, my name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks for stopping by this week. If you want to get a hold of me on the show, you can. Super simple. Uh, you can email teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Always great chatting with the Cross fans. Or you can find me on Twitter, which is becoming like my third or fourth home, uh, at off the crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. This is a lacrosse show, hence the lacrosse pun. It was a quiet week in the National Lacrosse League last weekend, only four games, but we got four really good games. Um, one goal, the overtime uh, game on Saturday that ended everything was just, you know, one of the games of the year when you think about everything that happened, and we're going to talk about that um, as sort of our focus this week after we hear from Sean Pollock and we get a bunch of other stuff out of the way. But the week started on Friday, and there were two really good games when you think about it. Uh, the last four Champions Cup winners faced off in Toontown on Friday night. Over 11,000 people in Saskatchewan uh, saw a great game. It was fairly defensive, as we kind of thought it would be, when you have these two teams who are known for not giving up a lot of goals. Saskatchewan jumped out to a bit of an early lead. Rochester, again, another slow start, something that they are really trying to work on, trying to figure out what's up with these slow starts and how they can rectify it so that they aren't putting themselves in a hole. And so they did just that. Saskatchewan beats them 11-8, and it was a great game and an offensive game at that. Also on Friday... The Rock got off the schneid, as they say, and beat Buffalo 14-12 in what was um, a classic game between these two clubs. And they, you know, they called it rivalry night, just like Calgary and Vancouver called it rivalry night. And I get it. There's a lot of built-up animosity between these two teams. And it pr- proved to be a great lacrosse game. But I don't know if, like... Yes, it's rivalry because they had such, you know, they've had long battles, long-standing battle in the history of their clubs since Toronto came in the league, proximity-wise, um, the familiarity of players and everything that goes around being two teams that are within short driving distance of each other. But where's the fire? Where's the the just pure hatred between these two clubs? And it's kind of like the Vancouver-Calgary, and I'm... I'm going to talk about this, but let's just get out of the way. Um, I haven't seen, and it may be the culture of sports moving away from concussions and sports moving away from fighting. I get that. Not a lot of people are a fan of fighting. I like it. Uh, I'm not a fan of, and I've gone over this one, I'm not a fan of staged fights um, or fighting a guy that's not willing to combat against you but if two guys want to square off in the heat of battle and just get some tension out of the way I'm all for it I'm all for it 
and that's what made Toronto and Buffalo games so good is that there was often a very likely chance that the powder keg was going to blow up and something was going to happen. Go back and look at some of the Minnesota-Toronto games that are on YouTube. And you'll see teams that don't like each other. Calgary and Toronto used to have incredible matchups that, you know, would have a five-minute stint of a bunch of fights. And again, it doesn't need to happen all the time. But when there is bad blood between teams and huge rivalries, it's nice to see some emotion other than celebrating goals. The Vancouver-Calgary game was a very strong case in point of this. And I kind of will back myself into a corner with this argument or conversation. And I noticed that when Calgary was up on Vancouver, 6 nothing, and they had extended the lead further on. And I can't remember who it was. I remember Beers was chirping with John Harnett. And I thought, okay, maybe those two guys will go. Just get it out of the way. Never happened. And then later on in the game, um, Tyler Digby scores a goal and bumps into Matt Beers, and they kind of push each other back and forth. Beers kind of threw a swing at Digby, and Digby was just kind of standing right in his face. And I thought, okay, here we go. It's going to go off. This is the moment where it sets off, and I couldn't believe that Matt Beers didn't grab him. Because four years ago, that's an easy fight for Matt Beers. Two years ago, that's an easy fight for Matt Beers. And it got me thinking, why are guys shying away from fights? Why are guys shying away from big hits and playing aggressively physical? And some people are like, well, you know, the game's gone soft. I don't know if it's gone soft, but here's why... I think it's gone the way that it has. And it's because guys can't afford to get hurt in situations, whether it be a fight or laying out a big hit, because in Matt Beers' case, he's a firefighter. You know, he can't be going toe-to-toe with a guy and fighting, breaking a hand, breaking a orbital bone, a nose, anything, throwing a shoulder out, and now, because of an injury through lacrosse, has to miss his real job. And you look at it, and it it makes sense. Guys aren't wanting to put them on the line, themselves on the line, 100%, because they have other jobs that they can't afford to miss. And I'm not saying guys aren't going 100%, because they are. It's just interesting to watch. Like, I, after I did the interview with Pollock that we'll hear very shortly, um, I just started going back and, and looking at games from five, six, seven years ago, three years ago, and just saw the amount of hatred between teams, whether it was line brawls or guys running into goalies and starting a semi-bench clear or just teams hating each other and just getting out of the way and having fights. You just don't see that in the National Lacrosse team. You don't really see it much in hockey anymore. Um, there was a great video on Facebook. I think it was called, you know, When Goalies Were Fair Game or something like that. 
And it was like two minutes of goalies just getting absolutely blown up. And that was never really a lacrosse thing. But it was a hockey thing. But you don't see that anymore. They've tried to take that out of the game. And that's great. I'm cool with it. But there's still repercussions for things happening. And I don't see that happening in lacrosse much anymore. Largely in part due to the instigator rule. But just once, I, I would like to see a defenseman or somebody just get frustrated with what's going on and just do something about it. Now, when I said I was going to talk my way into a corner here, I was upset that Matt Beers didn't grab Tyler Digby or even John Harnett or whoever he was going to f- could have fought or somebody grabbed somebody at some time when Vancouver was down big. Well, in that case, it was okay for them because they didn't lose Matt Beers for five minutes or more, and they were able to right the ship. So fighting isn't always the answer, but sometimes it can be an answer. And I, I just I just miss that about the National Cross League. I just, like, people are always, oh, we got to get back to the old MILL days and where just it's just an all-out beatdown. And there's sort of rules, but there's not really rules, and guys are just running into each other, and it's just hell on wheels. I can do without those days. But I would like to go back to 2005 to 2012. Like, that was a good span for the National Cross League. I'd like to see it kind of go back to that. I'd like to see some guys playing with an edge, playing with a chip on their shoulder, and not giving a crap if they have to drop the mitts and go not feel worried to feel the repercussions cuz sometimes it just it just needs to be done sometimes and we're just not seeing it as much and maybe that's just the way the national crossing is going but i would like to sometimes it's just an emotion thing for me and sometimes i just want to see somebody do something about it great segue because some guy who always, not always, often did something about it because maybe it's because he's a ginger. Maybe because he's small and a ginger. But Sean Pollock from Wallaceburg, Ontario was one of the grittiest, grimiest, best players I ever played with and against. And we spent some time in Minnesota together. We spent time in Victoria together. And now he is living in Minnesota full-time. And he joins us on the Off the Crossbar podcast. My good friend, Sean Pollock. Pauly, how are you, buddy? Doing well. Good to hear from you, buddy. It's been a while. Uh, how's things in Minnesota? Uh, it's 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 nice. It's uh, balmy, uh, thirty-five degrees right now, so can't complain about that in February. And uh, just uh, spending a lot more time with the family, which is which has been great. So uh, enjoying life right now. Uh, the retired life is treating you well. How's your golf game? <laughs> I wish it was that kind of retirement, but unfortunately, uh, unfortunately with lacrosse, uh, that's not the case. So grinding out 40 hours a week at work right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we talked about uh, about your life away from the game. Uh, you're doing some sales work right now, but uh, a lot of your focus is on giving back to the game, and, and you're a high school coach and a youth director there in Minnesota. 
Yeah, I uh, with the local Shakopee lacrosse uh, program, I'm a varsity head coach, and uh, my, I have an official title as youth coordinator or youth director with um, the youth program. So between uh, work, home life, and uh, and getting that program where it needs to go, it's uh, it's pretty pretty busy, but it also uh, it's pretty exciting with uh, all the things we're doing with Shockview Lacrosse. So it's uh, it's fun to still be a part of the game and in a different role and and uh, to help both build a, a newer program. Uh, in 2005, we both sort of went to St. Paul for our first time, really, and, and got to know the lay of the land and everything that was going on there. There wasn't um, a lot of programs around. There were some pockets here and there, but since your time there, how has lacrosse changed, um, not just in general, but since the swarm were there? Uh, it's changed uh, immensely. You know, I um, I think when we came here in 05, there might have been maybe 25 to 30 programs that were club lacrosse teams at the time. Mm-hmm. They weren't even a sanctioned high school sport then. And now it's it's blown up over 100 programs statewide, and uh, and it's uh, it's been a fully fledged uh, high school sport since I believe 2007 or 8. So, um, you know, lacrosse here it doesn't get the the attention that the East Coast gets, obviously, but you know it's pretty solid lacrosse, and and Minnesota's producing a lot of D1 players now. So, it's great to see, and it's only going to get better as uh, the kids get more exposure. So. It's um it's pretty great to see, especially um, you know, Ryan Ward and myself and, and even Colin Achenbach who played with the Swarm for a handful of years here. So we're all involved in one way or another and um trying to trying to build this thing Ward, ground so, up pretty much. So Wardle so Wardle's still there working with you guys in that area? Yeah, Ward, Ward, uh, Ryan's at uh, Eden Prairie and uh they're basically the uh the New England Patriots of lacrosse here in uh, in, in Minnesota. They they won um, I believe three of the last four state titles. So they're they get they got a lot of athletes. It's a really big school and uh, they do really well. So uh, he's he's doing uh, he's doing pretty solidly over at the Eden Prairie there. Do you guys do you guys talk a lot or are you guys sort of uh, friends away from the coaching aspect of it all? Yeah, yeah, uh, Ryan, our families are, are pretty close. He's one of my best friends, and, uh, you know, we, we stayed that way since, you know, we, we started playing together back in 05 uh, out in Victoria. So mm-hmm. um, so we see each other quite often. Our kids are the same age. They're actually two weeks apart. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's great uh, on that aspect. I think um, uh, we're going to kind of get together and, and start jumping in with that U.S. box program and, yep. and bring a Twin Cities team into that. Um, I'm going to – uh, Ryan's actually heading it with his company, uh, Twin Cities Lacrosse, and I'm gonna gonna be part of coaching staff as we get it going. So, um, pretty excited about that too. It's a new opportunity that's new to to Minnesota and the Twin Cities here, so that that should be fun to to get back into that part of it. Yeah, the U.S. Box League group, uh, Shaden Santos and all those guys are, are doing phenomenal work. They just had the Resolute tournament in Ohio the other weekend, and it seems to be growing and and gaining a lot of momentum. But it's also being uh, recepted very well that American kids are now starting to be taught real box across, not the hybrid forms that a lot of um, fledgling programs are starting. How important is it to teach those kids the true nature of what box across is? Well, I think, uh, you know, when you were here and, and we, we both came here, they were basically playing field inside of a of a box and mm-hmm. or a soccer, indoor soccer facility. And, you know, I think with Ryan and Amy Keynes is here as well. He yep. stayed in the cities and with his family. And 
and now myself, um, being all top level players in our careers, you know, we're actually looking forward to getting the, the box program going, especially teaching the kids the, the right way to play it instead of, you know, playing field inside. So, um, it's only going to make the, kids, the players better, as we see with a lot of the top D1 players now. A lot of them are Canadian kids that, that play both, and um, it's only going to improve the skill level of uh, the kids here in Minnesota. So it's definitely an exciting time to be a part of a lacrosse. Uh, it's great that you know we see this in all the pockets sort of around North America that are getting um, top box programs, having high-level players giving back to the game and, and teaching these kids. When you were growing up in Wallaceburg, who was teaching you the game? Uh, Kim O'Neill was, uh, was one of the, one of the guys that, that was my coach and he was a big influence on me as I started playing. He was, um, he was one of the members of the senior B Rev Devils way back in the day. Yeah. Uh, there was Gord Lilly. He was, uh, he was a big time scorer back in junior B and I think he played a little bit in junior A, um, uh, with the Sarnia Pacers, uh, back in the day as well. So, those two guys, uh, they were they were big influences on me. Kim O'Neill has actually stayed in touch with me uh, throughout my career. He went to a ton of games in Buffalo. I think he even got season tickets for the Bandits <laughs> just to watch me play, uh, you know, once a year. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, th- those guys are still there. They're still involved with uh, Wallsburg Lacrosse. Obviously, you see Jordan Durston coming through now, and yeah. he's being real successful. He had three goals the other day, so. Uh, the talent for a town of eight to ten thousand people is just absurd. To be honest, like we, we they put out top tier players year after year, and they compete on a on a junior B level with with cities the size of seventy thousand, mm-hmm. eighty thousand people. So um, lacrosse is strong in Wallaceburg, uh, even though the numbers are low because the population is low. But yeah. the kids they they dive in and they have an outdoor facility to to play at when when the weather. Uh, is good and get outside and, and, and work on those skills where, you know, some other programs, they don't, but kids, kids take lacrosse serious, serious there. And, you know, it's, it's great to see uh, one of the younger generations in Durston uh, come up and he's making an impact so far with the, the self. Is it, is it long before uh, Wallsburg gets a junior A club, you think? I don't think so. I don't think the town's big enough. I yeah. think attendance wise, they could actually, uh, produce a very good um a very good junior A team. Um when the Red Devils came in in junior B, I think it was back in ninety eight, they they were successful because Windsor and London and, and Sarnia didn't have junior B teams. Right. So everyone from those centers came in and it was basically like a zone seven all star team in southern Ontario. So right. Um, you know, maybe that is some route they could take. The hard part is to travel because the closest team would be um, Six Nations, which is mm-hmm. two hours away. So, oh, wow. um, that's yeah, that's one of the, the troubles with the teams um, down there is to play a lot of those other centers. It's two hours sitting on a bus, and you get yeah. off, and you got to go play a game. So it's it's hard to do for for the teams down south there. So, but I don't know. It would it would be great to see like an all star team from Zone 7 uh, kind of take over and, and get into Junior A. I think it'd be great. You spent uh, nearly about six years playing Junior A and Junior B in Ontario before making the shift to the senior ranks, and, and you came out to Victoria, and that's where we first really connected in 04. How did you get out here? Was it the Chugger connection with Kitchener? Uh, no, it was actually I, I played um, my first year in the NLL with Arizona, 
and uh, got into a game and played against, uh, it was the last game of the Vancouver Ravens franchise uh, at GM Place. And I played in that game, and uh, Seamus uh, yeah. uh, from, the, from the Shamrocks, he, he saw me out after the game and gave me a business card, and I went back uh, back east and uh, gave him a call that week. And before long, um, I was on a flight and out to uh, out to Victoria, and not knowing uh, not knowing anybody. And you know, three years later, after a, a career out there, it was it was all I could ever ask for. I loved it. I uh, I even miss it. Jenna and I both miss it to this day. So. Um, nothing but great things to say about the people of Victoria. It was a great experience. And, of course, the 05 Man Cup kind of helps make it that much more of a special experience. Yeah, obviously. Um, I think that was the closest team I've ever played on. Uh, everyone was uh, was just awesome. Uh, we all got along. We all hung out. You know, even on our off days, we were just yeah. hanging out. And, and uh, you know, those were probably some of the best times of, of my life when it came to lacrosse where it was just, it was fun. We we're all young and we, uh, we enjoyed playing for one another and we were good. So, you know, you can't beat that. Your, your national lacrosse league career was uh, maybe not as successful in the title wise, but you put in some serious years in this league and you bounced around a bit, but once you found a home, you stayed there. Your time in Minnesota was probably one of the best, um, careers we've seen from anybody who plays that organization and you were there from day one and pretty much there uh, near the end when the writing started to be put on the wall. Do you think Minnesota should have lost their team? Like we've had a conversation before. They should still be there, shouldn't they? Well, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know my <laughs> feelings about it. Uh, being one of the, actually the original member from the expansion draft that stuck yeah. around for a number of years, you know, that really hurt. Um, hurt me personally to see them get up and go when they're getting uh, 8,000 people at a minimum at, mm-hmm. at every game. You know, people across the league don't understand. Like, the atmosphere at the NFL awesome. was great. You it know, awesome, as a role yeah. player, it was, it was fantastic. So, um, you know, they may not think it was just because it was in Minnesota in the middle of the flyover yeah. country. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the fans here were great. They were passionate. They showed up. Um, I think the arena lease was probably a big factor in that. Mm-hmm. And and um, probably uh, uh, a sponsorship money that that I know they lost uh, some of it um, yeah. through some different issues. Was, <laughs> like guys uh, going through probably, windows and <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> really. But uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun those first years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we can't tell all you know, those it, stories. We can't tell all no. those stories because we get a lot of people in trouble. But those times when. We'd be there on long weekends, and we'd stay three or four days. Those are some of the funnest weekends I've had in a long time, just because it was so many guys just living a life and, and having fun as a group of guys together. It brought us a lot closer because, like you said, we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, Sundays, you, you had to travel to Wisconsin to get adult beverages. Um, everything closed down in St. Paul after 6 o'clock. There wasn't a lot to do, so it made the team a lot closer. Well, yeah, and it also helped that we had a bunch of characters on the team yeah, as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We had we had Rock Boyle right in his prime, and we yeah. had Jamie Taylor. We had yeah, Jamie Taylor. We, you know, we had you know Culper. You yeah. know, he was the you know the menace back then. So yeah. you know, we had we had some characters, and that was led by Ryan Cousins, who was yeah. probably uh, you know he was a great leader, and 
you know, everybody followed him and, you know, he liked to have fun too. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was just the right mix at the right time for a bunch of young guys living here and, and having fun. And, you know, it's too bad we couldn't turn some of those teams into winners at the mm-hmm. time, but, you know, it was obviously, uh, it was, it was a growing experience and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to trivia question you, name the three players from the 05 team still playing in the NLL today. Uh, Jack Holt, yeah, uh, Sully, yeah, and uh, oof. another D guy. There's there's three guys. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Uh, he didn't play. He only played seven games that year because he broke his leg in a game. Oh yeah, Soupy. Yeah, Soupy. Campbell. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah, three guys. I forgot because he broke his leg. I have a picture of that, and I say yeah. cringe every time I look at it. Yeah, no, oh. Soupy, yeah, he's had, he's had a great career, too. He's he's a hard-nosed defender, so it's good to see him bounce back from that. I remember actually hearing that uh, his ankle go. He yeah, we were on the bench. On, yeah. on the oh. bench side, yeah, and we I, we heard it on the bench, and it yeah. sounded like, uh, like a shaft snap. And yeah. <laughs> we didn't know what happened until he, he didn't get up, and his ankle was sideways. So yeah. he... Uh, yeah, and him for come back from that, you know, that's that's a pretty tough guy. He he was a good dude and and a good teammate. So yeah, good for those guys. You know, my body hurts like sitting here talking you on the phone. <laughs> yeah. So well, you're only I, uh, a year removed. Know. You're only a year removed from playing in this league. Um, what were some of your some of your memories from uh, a very very lucrative NLL career? Uh, probably the you know first time I uh, I played in uh, Toronto was always a big memory. I think. Uh, you know, as an Ontario kid, that's always special playing your first game against a rock. Yeah. Um, playing in a sellout in, in uh, First Niagara there in Buffalo, uh, it was like eighteen thousand six, whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know, those games were always the best for me. Um, those were fun, and uh, you know, I think I, you know, we I we're lucky because, you know, I I call it kind of the golden era or the where I feel like the league peaked between 05 and probably 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, we were playing in Madison Square Garden and the Boston Garden, and we were yeah. going out west to Anaheim. And, you know, it was just great. You know, we, we got to stay in Anaheim for a few days and go to Huntington Beach. And, you know, I played in the garden and got a hat trick there. And just, you know, it, it was pretty special and yeah. uh, to play in some of those buildings and, and to look back and, get to remember some of the experiences of going in and playing there. And, you know, it's like you're, you're a performer when you go on uh, Madison Square Garden to yeah. play. And, you know, it's just memories that, uh, you know, I get to take with me. And, and uh, you know, hopefully the league can get back to that. I know they're going a lot smaller with the venues. But, man, when when we were able to go and, and play in those buildings and, uh, you know, Arizona even, that was one of my favorite places to play. It was yeah. uh, probably my favorite arena in the whole U.S. So. You know, it was just just so much fun, and, and it felt it was bigger than maybe it was, but it was uh, it was a great time to be a player in, in the league. Do you remember your first goal? Yeah, it was actually uh, a penalty shot on Patty Campbell in Arizona. <laughs> penalty shot, really? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, first goal on a penalty shot in my first game. Um, we were up 13 to four, and they got too many men call in the last two minutes, so I got to take the penalty shot and dip and dunk on Patty Campbell short side. So. Uh, he let me know what after. It was, it, was, uh, it was pretty good. So, um, yeah, I remember that one. Uh, it was, uh, there's a trivia question for you. Who scored their first goal on a penalty yeah, shot? I think Paul Rebel might have done it too after. So, but, 
but yeah, I'll never forget that one. It was my first game out in uh, out in the desert. And do you remember your last goal? Yeah, it was against Colorado in the playoffs. Um, a rebound off of uh, Wardo put it in on an open net. So yeah. didn't get any in Edmonton or uh, in Calgary against Edmonton. Uh, you know, uh, against Boldy, he he has my number. There's there's one guy I had my number, and it was in my head throughout my whole career. It was probably yeah. Aaron Bold. Um, I think he's highly underrated as a goalie yeah. because of the defense. Um, but I think that he makes the defense better than, than they are, to be honest. I, I just think he's that good. So, um, so yeah, no, it was, uh, it was Wardle in, uh, in Colorado, which was, which felt good, obviously, uh, going back there after being let go last year. Yeah, of course. Um, your time in Colorado is, is quite special to you, not just because of the, the four years uh, that you put in there, but just, what the organization had done for you and Jenna and your family after everything that she went through. How important was it to have that support going through uh, the news of Jenna having uh, cancer and, and then them being supportive and, and there for you guys? Oh, it was fantastic. You know, um, it was, they, they were there. Um, you know, we even had practice the day after we found out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I walked in and, I saw Junior right away, and I started bawling my eyes out. And uh, right then, he went to Steve, and, uh, you know, they they wanted to do something. And they put together a fundraiser uh, during the playoff game, which, you know, we're, we're trying to get ready for a playoff game, and the whole organization's focused on, on raising money for us. So, yeah. it uh, you know, it was special. I, I really enjoyed my time in Colorado. I, I wish it didn't end the way it ended but uh you know things happen it's a business and i get it so but i have nothing bad to say about them i i think they're they're class the whole way through and you know i i thank steve govett and um and don sunblade and everybody else with the organization for everything they did they were they're nothing but uh a plus in my books and um you know we probably wouldn't have got through that time the way we did without them so you know, I have nothing but great things to say about them. And from then to now, we were going to have you on the show last week, but uh, you guys were uh, doing some tests with Jenna. Everything is good with her. She's she's moving on past all this. Yeah, yeah. So far, every test has been good. She gets some preventative care um, with with a few things every three months, and and some checkups every six months. So we're down in Rochester, Minnesota, down at the Mayo Clinic uh, quite often. So. Yeah. But uh, everything so far has been good, and uh, coming up on four years already here uh, this awesome. this um, this spring summer. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, we obviously we hope that everything continues, and you know that's that's our outlook is nothing but positive on it. Um, with having gone through this all, and how much closer has Jenna gotten to Michelle Fines, and you gotten close to Aaron Bold through all this, and everything um, they're going through. Well, Michelle and, and Jenna, you know, they're they talk on a daily basis. They're, you know, I'd say they're they're pretty good friends, if not best yeah. friends now at this point. And um, you know, I think they both help each other on a yeah. daily basis with with the way they talk and and everything on that side. Um, you know, I I'm not sure Jenna would be able to get through every day without Michelle. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, um, she's she she means that much to her and. You know, um, you know, I know Michelle probably thinks the same way about Jenna. So um, it's unfortunate, 
the way things have gone with with uh, Michelle and and you know how she got a, a new diagnosis last year and you know we um as a lacrosse community I think uh we show uh, time and time again how close knit it is and and the support that they got last year was was uh, amazing so um yeah, no, they're they're great people. They're both awesome. I go way back actually with Michelle even before all this. I, you know, I grew up uh, 20 minutes from from where she she grew up, and uh, we had uh, some common friends uh, when I played junior hockey. So we go back to when I was uh, probably 18, 19 years old with oh, wow. uh, with Michelle and I. So yeah, even before all all the lacrosse stuff. So. Um, so yeah, it's uh you know, we continue to be good friends and uh, you know, they they uh, they have a wedding coming up in uh, the fall here and can't wait to get out and see them. Uh one thing that's brought Jenna and you even closer as a family has been your son Owen. Uh how great is it to to be bringing up a, a great little young man? Oh, there's there's nothing better than being a father and and uh you know, now I get to spend a lot more time with them, obviously, and um, our bond together is so much stronger than it was before, even, you know, a year ago or when I was traveling so much. So that's um, that's one of the main reasons, you know, I, I stopped playing. I, you know, I was missing a lot of time every weekend flying around, and, yeah. you know, it was it was kind of selfish, and, um, you know, it, it it was what what it was, but now it's you know I get to spend so much time and every weekend we're when the weather was good we were going skating and working on that and now he's getting yeah. into lacrosse a lot more and you know he throws passes just as good as uh, you know some of my high school kids uh, <laughs> for, fortunately or unfortunately yeah. I'm not sure but uh, but he uh, you know he he's a, he's a quick learner and uh, you really get to learn now how smart they really are at a, yeah. at a young age and you know, every day he, uh, he kind of blows us away with how smart he is. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's fun to see, uh, you know, being a, being a parent is just probably the coolest thing in the world. So, um, so yeah, now, now we can spend more time together. It's just, uh, it's a lot more fun. Have you ever thought about, um, taking a position within the National Cross League? Would you like to? Uh, yeah, I think eventually when the timing's right, um, you know, it's something I I would hope to get into again. Um, uh, when that time is, I don't know, but you know, I would love, uh, you know, selfishly for Minnesota to get a team back here. Yeah, I think absolutely. there's a fan base that that's here, and um, I think it would take the right ownership to do it. Uh, you know, I think the Wild did a fantastic job, but I'm not sure it's even on their agenda at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if it happened, and uh, you know, maybe locally we got a team. You know, I I'd love to be involved. Um, but you know, as of right now, you know, it's with all the travel that's involved in it, it's just, uh, um, probably not there right now. So, but yeah, I, uh, I, I still love, you know, the, the game. It's just, you know, logistically, it's just yeah. not in the cards. Uh, 2008 was, uh, an interesting year for yourself, uh, and Glenn Clark, cause you guys had a bit of a run in at the ACC. I know a lot of people don't know the whole story and we don't need to know the full story, but now that you've retired, you can kind of maybe speak a little more freely about it. What do you remember about that night at the ACC? Well, I remember I got, I got kicked out on the instigator call in the first quarter um, in a fight I got into, and it was a it was a wild game. You know, we had like three guys kicked out, and 
and uh, we ended up winning in overtime. I think we came back from behind and won in overtime. And mm-hmm. I was celebrating in our hallway down by our dressing room, and you know, I even I said, "Way to effing go, boys!" They tried to screw us, and we still won. Yeah, that's the exact words that came out of my mouth. And uh, I guess Glenn heard that, and um, because of the way the the tunnels were are lined up at the ACC, where where they cross. Yeah, you know, he came back, and uh, you know, he. he Got in my face a little bit, right by the the air or the the hockey night in Canada door there. Yeah. And uh, you know, he got me he got me a couple times with my hands down. So uh so yeah, they, you know, I, I know back then it was hard. Um, you know, they, they came out and said I was right by their dressing room, which was false and the league put a gag order on me where I wasn't allowed to say anything. Yeah. And uh, you know, I couldn't get get the truth out there. And um you know, it was unfortunate because, you know, I was getting my name drugged through the mud and really for, uh, you know, yeah. no good cause at all. So, but, uh, you know, it, it happened, um, you know, uh, you apologized for it and, and, um, we, uh, you know, everything was kind of dropped and, and pretty much forgotten, but yeah, I know, uh, just with the way the the league was, they they put a gag order on me, and I couldn't say anything. It was yeah. uh, it was frustrating at the time because, you know, here I am. I was still a young kid at the time, and uh, you know I, uh, you know I wanted to get the truth out there, but I didn't want to get in any other trouble. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, but uh, you know, uh, hopefully, I think I think Glenn uh, learned from that, and now he's back in the league, and his team's doing really well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's good to to see that, and you know, hopefully, uh, something like that never happens again. Uh, n- not not directly at Glenn Clark, but are are you surprised the Black Wolves are doing so well this year? No, not at all. Um, if you look at their top five on offense, they're they're probably, if not, one of the best offenses in the league talent wise. You know, I think uh Kevin Buchanan is one of the most underrated players in the league. Yeah. He's been around for, for a long time now and you never he never gets his due, probably because he's American, but um I think he's fantastic. Pat Saunders has come in a really good player, mm-hmm. um, top notch player. And then you got Evie and uh Crowley on the other side with the the other Buchanan. Like that's that's yeah. pretty solid right there. Yeah. And, you know, I think um I think adding some of the D guys that they did add, you know, just, uh, you know, they're gritty, they're tough, they're hard to play against. Um, yeah. And if they can they can give Kirk uh, good looks at, at, at saves, then, you know, they're going to be pretty good. And they're going to be – I think they're going to be a playoff team and they could be a dangerous playoff team. Yeah. For, for what I know. Um, just looking at the personnel, I honestly haven't watched them at all. But yeah. uh, just, just looking at the names they have and – Hearing uh, what you say about them, you know, I think uh, they have a shot just like anybody else. I think it's pretty much wide open this year at, uh, at pretty much any other year. Yeah. Um, other than, you know, Toronto going 0-6 to start the year, what's been a, something that, you know, as you've watched the league or followed as close as you can that sort of stood out for you to start the year? Um, to be honest, I haven't watched the, uh, I haven't watched the second, to be honest. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm one of those guys. I, I even, I had to unfollow a lot of people just cause it was, um, I wasn't in the place where I was ready to, yeah. to, to not be there. So, um, but from what I hear and, you know, I, I follow, uh, I follow the stealth so I can follow up on Thurston and, yeah. uh, and and yourself, so I I have a pretty solid handle on what's going on. So, 
the Toronto 0-6 start is probably the big one for me. I think um, Dane Smith taking over offensively is yeah. probably um, not so much of a surprise because I think he's super talented and a great player. I just think how fast he's done it in his career is, uh, you know, it's it's great to see. It's just, you know, I the amount of points some of these guys are putting up right now are just insane. So, um, so them, I think the Black Wolves, obviously, them uh, turning it around and being at the top of the division. And yeah. Colorado, you know, Colorado, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't think they'd be even a playoff team this year. I thought they'd take a step back. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, fool me on that one. But uh, they're playing well. They're they're playing well, and you know they got some. They got a pretty good offense with uh, with Junior and Jonesy, and mm-hmm. I guess Gallum's playing pretty good too. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, Colorado might be the big one for yeah. me. I, I really didn't think they were gonna you know take charge like they did. So it's good for them. We'll pay a little more attention. We'll have you back on and talk some more lacrosse stuff. Always, uh, it's always great catching up to you. Uh, say hi to Wardo uh, when you see him and uh, give him and the family my best and uh, appreciate you giving us some time. Yeah, buddy, anytime. Give me a call or uh, reach out and, um, you know, I'll uh, I'll talk to Ryan and, uh, you know, anybody listening to this, uh, you know, I hope uh, everyone supports the league. I think it's uh, one of the best leagues in the world. So um, thanks for the time, Teddy. It's good to talk to you anytime. There he is, uh, Sean Pollock, retired Nash Lacrosse League player, WLA player in Ontario, Junior A, Junior B guy. He brings up a lot of good points, and and we we talked about um, a lot of things during that conversation. The Glenn Clark story is pretty crazy, um, and that he was put on a gag order by the Nash Lacrosse League, and I know Clark, he wasn't saying much around then, understandable. But the, the, like that just kind of goes back to what I was talking about early uh, in the program. Just th- that passion. You can go on YouTube, and you can find the fights for that game. And like the like Paul said, he got kicked out in the opening quarter for that fight with Woods, and it just set the tone for the rest of the game. It wasn't a dirty game. Okay, the Travis Hill on Jim Hill hit on Jim Velma. It's kind of dirty. As those teams play, like I played in that rivalry, neither of those teams liked each other from jump. And as the rivalry built, the games got more and more intense. And it just built for things like that to boil over. You just don't see that anymore. And it's it's interesting to see how the dynamic of the National Lacrosse League has changed in the past few years and how it's moved away from fighting, and the focus is on goal scoring, which is great. Like, Dane Smith most likely going to shatter Evie's record. That's an awesome story. Um, The year Evan Kirk is having, awesome story. The turnaround of the Black Wolves in general is an awesome story. I just miss it, that's all. I I, I can go on and on about this, but I probably shouldn't. Um, Let's talk about some really cool things that happened, Um, most notably this. Shetler looking to feed. He's got Westberg. Feed inside. There's Dixon. Are you kidding me? Welcome to Sports Center, Curtis Dixon, his fifth of the night. And just sit back and admire, folks. This is ridiculous. It was ridiculous, Jumbo. And I did sit back and admire over and over and over again. Um, 
Superman's goal, his fifth of the night. Ironically, his best of the night, and unfortunately, his last of the night, um, was a wonder goal and something that he continues to do regularly. It got picked up by Bar Down, by Barstool, by ESPN, by TSN. It went around the world. It was silly, silly, silly. But the thing is, is that Vancouver made the adjustments. And this is something that they haven't been able to do in quite some time. And it's been, it's the idea of when things aren't going your way, how do you get your team out of the hole? Goalie switch? Sure. Eric Penny got lit up, let four goals in on 11 shots. Your night's done. In comes Tyler Richards. Now, many people thought, okay, maybe they're going to do what they did in Rochester and pull Penny and just give him a quick breather, put him right back in. That didn't happen, and I think it was the right choice from Dan Perot. I think Perot understood the situation. Calgary was having their way with his number one goaltender. He needed to shake things up. And you know what? Why not give Tyler Richards the shot? I said this to Ryan McMichael as he's texting me during the game while I was watching. He didn't like the choice of going, uh, of pulling Penny or going to T. Rich. He just didn't understand. And so I told him, I said, well, you know what? If you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. If T. Rich is terrible, then you can go back to Penny and you can say, yep, Eric Penny's our number one guy. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But put T. Rich in, see what he can do. It's his first action in a long time. He looked good to start. He had some shaky moments. But, you know, he settled down. The defense started playing with more confidence in front of him. They shut down Dixon. And they were able to limit the opportunities by Calgary. And by sealing up the dam, it allowed their offense to slowly get their wheels going. And they were horrible in the first quarter. Horrible. There's no doubt about that. But the shots just weren't going in. They were they were slow-footed. They weren't moving the ball very well. They weren't getting good shot opportunities, and they were playing fairly perimeter. Like, Joel McCready and Durson were really the only two guys getting to the middle of the floor. But once they kind of got their mojo, especially after that first quarter, once they got their mojo going and they were able to slow the roll that Calgary was on, then the momentum started to build. They get two goals. They get a couple more goals. They get a few more goals. I think it got to 12-5. If my memory serves me right, my memory's horrible. If my memory serves me right, it was 12-5. And next thing you know, is Vancouver just starts going on a run. And they're starting to do the little things that they weren't doing. Little things like battling for loose balls in corners. Making the extra effort for for loose balls or simple effort plays. 
like the play Jordan Durston made on the 12-9 goal where he gets off the bench early because the D guy got off the floor. It's after a shot clock, so the ball's just rolling down the Calgary. And he could have taken his time, but no. He sprinted down along the boards, picked up the loose ball, and caught Calgary napping and allowed Billings to sprint off the bench, and they had odd numbers. And he sets up Billings for the 12-9 goal. And little plays like that, especially from a rookie, go a long way in helping teams sort of create an identity. And thanks to Logan Schuss and a bit of a delay in a Calgary airport a few weeks ago, this Vancouver team now does have an identity. Who controls the British pound? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Who leaves Atlantis off the maps? Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do. We do. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes the Gutenberg a star? We do. Fish of their sight. Who rigged every Oscar night? We do. We do. For those of you too young or maybe too on the other side of me, uh, that's the stone cutters from the Simpsons. And it's just something that the team started doing. It kind of caught on. And it's sort of something they're rolling with. And they are the stone cutters. And they're starting to turn things around out of the Vancouver South. And they have a massive game this weekend. They go into Colorado to take on the Mammoth in a Western showdown. And Vancouver, with their win over Calgary last weekend, vaulted into third place in the West. They're now a half game up on Calgary, a full game and a half back of Saskatchewan and two and a half back of Colorado. But they're in a playoff spot. And now for Calgary, they've got to figure out how to get back into things. They're still going to be without Dane Doby for a couple more weeks. they got to find a way to balance out their left-hand side. And so that third spot is was always going to be the battle spot in the West. Colorado and Saskatchewan, in my opinion, at the start of the year were head and shoulders above everybody in the West, and then Calgary and Vancouver were always going to battle it out. So that's a look sort of at the West. At the East... New England is on top at 4-2, and two, followed by Georgia and then Buffalo and then Rochester. All three of those teams are just a game back of New England. And then Toronto, as mentioned, got their first win. 1-6, they avoid the 0-7. And when you watch that game, you just, you had a sense it might be the night. Um, you know, it didn't start very well. And I remember tweeting out after the second goal that the, the second goal, Dane Smith scored on a power play and he took a shot. It banked off the end boards, went off Rosie's foot, who got the start in net and then trickled into the back. And then I was like, oh no, it's going to be one of those nights. And if it's going to be one of those nights, it's not going to be a fun night for anybody in Toronto. Well, then just kind of like Vancouver did. They, you know, settled themselves down. They had a slow start, but they settled themselves down. And then they outscored Buffalo for the next three quarters. 
And it was great to see this Toronto team start to find their moxie again and start to find a bit of their swagger again. Um, Their power play still needs to come along. They were two for nine, but I think they'll start to come around now that Shooter's sort of settled himself into that offense. And I'm not sure there's much more you can say about the ability of Josh Sanderson. Uh, He was one in five his first game against Georgia. He goes one in six against Buffalo. He's one of Toronto's best per game point producers in the two games that he's played. And he's starting to find his role again with that team as the quarterback. And it's settled their offense down. They've gotten Jesse Gamble back, which has been huge. Uh, Scott Johnston is back, and he's starting to play the role that he can. If Damon Edwards can come back and Toronto can start to find another gear here in the later stages, latter stages of this season, stranger things have happened. Just like no lead is safe in the National Lacrosse League, I don't think you can ever count a team out until they're mathematically eliminated. Calgary case in point last year. They were 0-6. And we're able to make it into the postseason. A little tougher out east, mostly because there's more teams, but it's never over till it's over. And when you're getting plays from your goaltender, as Nick Rose did, and Nick Rose, you know, like I said, he had a bit of a slow start in that first quarter. But he ends up making 38 saves on 50 shots. He settled down in the middle part of that game, largely in part to his defense, kind of, you know, settling themselves down. They only allowed six goals per half, which is great. They hit that magic number of 12. And, you know, it was everything Toronto needed that game to be. And the icing on the cake was something that had never happened in Toronto Rock history before. Stops the rebound. Rose... With the crisp outlet pass, and it goes into the empty net, and scores! Nick Rose! Nick Rose scores! And his teammates surround him to celebrate Nick Rose. Oh, with the, with the firepower. <laughs> that is a huge smile. You can see that through the mask. Indeed it was a very big smile on the face of Nick Rose. Uh, his first ever National Cross League goal. His first ever ass slap probably from Jesse Gamble. That's probably not true. I don't know what goes in that room, but I'm pretty sure Gamble's given a few pats once or twice. But you could just see the the jubilation on everybody's face in a rock uniform when Rosie scored that goal. And it just was the monkey off the back. Like uh, King Kong off the back. And great for Rosie. Like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, always willing to sit and chat. And he's put his time in, and he sat behind B. Miller sort of this year for most of the time, and when he's gotten the opportunity, he's jumped at it. And he's always ready to go at the drop of a hat and to see him get that goal. And as I said, first ever goalie goal in Rock history. Whipper never did it. Surprised Patty Campbell never did it. Um. But the number of goalies who have scored is is minimal. The last guy to do it was Tyler Richards a couple years ago. But who knows? Maybe that's what's going to turn this season around for the Toronto Rock. 
and you just you can never you never know what's gonna happen. And funny enough, you know Toronto this weekend uh, has to take on Rochester at home, second game of a five game homestand, and they get another Eastern foe. But when you when you look at that game, and I kind of talked to somebody, I think it might have been Rob Williams. He didn't like when Rosie shot it. I think he's what he said. He's like, look at the time on the shot. Um, I think his concern was there was still a lot of time left, and if he would have missed, you know, Buffalo could have gotten possession and come down and, and gotten the game a little bit closer. But in reality, and I haven't talked to him about this, I haven't talked to Rosie about it, but Rosie picks up the ball in his crease, and he's looking for an outlet pass, and Buffalo is pressing up the floor because they need goals, and they got to get back in the game. And so he didn't have anybody pass to. And so he was reaching the four-second count in his crease and halfway to an eight-second count to get it over the timeline. So I truly believe he was just trying to dump it and ice it. And it just happened because you heard Andy McNamara say, looking for the outlet pass. Maybe Andy Mack didn't see up the floor. But I think Rosie was just trying to get it out of his zone, and it just happened to be on net. Picked the bottom left, bottom right corner. It was great. But as I said, that's that's a huge thing for Toronto. Get things turned around, and you just never really know what's going to happen from here on out. As mentioned, they play uh, the next four at home. The next game's against Rochester. And then I was I was looking at this the other day. Um, their schedule for the rest of the season after they play Rochester this weekend, seven of their final nine games are against Western teams. Home to Calgary, Vancouver, and Saskatchewan. Away to Saskatchewan and Vancouver. Home to New England. And then on the weekend of April 15th and 16th, they play a home-and-home with the Bandits before finishing on the road at Calgary and Colorado. So this is massive. Like They've gotten the majority of their Eastern schedule out of the way. And so it's going to come down to how well they play against the Western Division. And they haven't played a Western team yet. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. They've yet to play a Western team. And then they'll play seven of nine to end the year against the West. Well, I guess they'll have every scouting report if they make it to the Champions Cup final. That's a far, 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 far ways away. Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Yes I am, yes I am, yes I am I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man I believe every lie that I Coming into the weekend, Dane Smith was averaging 8.3 points per game. Well, after the weekend, he's averaging 8.3. Six points per game. That's because he put up 19 points in two games this weekend, eight goals, 10 assists. And even though Buffalo lost both of their games, Dane Smith is proving that he is the most lethal player in all of the National Lacrosse League. It doesn't matter. On the run, standing still, shooting from the point, Dane Smith is the man. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man.
that'll about wrap things up for another week here on Off the Crossbar. As mentioned, there are five games this weekend and a fairly busy National Lacrosse. Like it all starts Friday night. Buffalo at Saskatchewan, which will be a very good game. Saskatchewan, you know, getting a test of Eastern beasts in the past couple weeks. They'll host the Bandits Friday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time is the faceoff. Be seen on Fox Sports Go. And then Saturday, a rare afternoon matinee, Saturday matinee. Vancouver goes to Colorado uh, to the Mile High City at the Pepsi Center, the Loud House, to take on the Mammoth. 5 p.m. Eastern faceoff in the States. Watch ESPN and in Canada on TSN2 and, of course, on TSN Go. Later that night, Rochester at Toronto, which will be a great, great lacrosse game. Uh, Fox Sports go across the board, 7 o'clock Eastern. And then two Sunday games, Georgia at New England. It's the only Eastern team Georgia hasn't beaten. That's a 3 p.m. faceoff. And then Saskatchewan at Calgary. 4 p.m. Eastern faceoff. Both those games on Fox Sports go. Uh, one quick last addition before we get out of here. Uh, Last Wednesday, when I was sitting at my local coffee shop writing my uh, 30 thoughts, I uh, just happened to be sitting in the window seat, and as I'm sitting there, who walks by me? None other than Tyler Burton, Man Cup champion of the Victoria Shamrocks, National Lacrosse League champion, and kind of gave him a quick wave, and he popped in. We started talking, and, and uh, I said, so are anybody talking to you? Any teams calling you? He's like, no, man, it's been really weird I you know the stealth cut me they felt that my knee was an issue even though I was one of the best defenders in camp and they straight released me and no one's called me I was like man that's weird I said hey don't worry next week I'm going to give you a shout on the podcast and I'll put you in the 30 thoughts hey GMs if you need a championship winning defender stay at home guy can take face offs and shut guys down maybe you should give Tyler Burton a call Oh, the Calgary Roughnecks beat me to it. Uh, then two days later, two days on Friday, Calgary signed Burtz to a practice roster spot. And who knows? He very well could be in the lineup in the coming weeks. And I think it's great because, one, he's a Mercier's guy. So shout out to the Laker Bride. And uh, two, I just want to see the guy back in the game. I think he deserves to be playing. I think he's a valuable asset to any team. I don't think his knee's an issue. He says his knee's not an issue. And he's a veteran. He understands what it takes to win in key situations. And I think he'd be a great addition to the Roughneck. So, nice job, Kurt Miloski, Mike Board, and welcome back to the league, Tyler Burton. That will officially do it for another week here on Off the Crossbar. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or as always you can find me on twitter at the crossbar another week is in the books week nine is just a few days away get out enjoy the games take a friend with you and remember be excellent to each other 